titled this series, Why in the World Are We Here? Why in the world are we here? And I, and I don't know about you, but I, I'd be okay going to heaven right about now. Any, anybody else ready to go to heaven? And, and I, you know, I, I've talked about this numerous times here, and uh, over the years, people, uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die to get there kind of idea. And a lot of times people will be like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I want to do this and this and this. And they name all these things that they want to do before they actually go. And, and, and on one hand, I get that. But on the other hand, if that is better than heaven, why would we want to go? But heaven's going to be pretty awesome. I don't think there's anything here that can compare to what we're going to see over there and what we're going to experience. When there is no death and no sorrow and no pain and we're going to be with Jesus forever, that's going to be pretty awesome. There's no snow and there's no ice in heaven. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but since I don't like snow and ice, it can't be snow and ice in heaven. But while we're here and until we get there, we have a task to accomplish. We have a purpose for why we are here. And so I'm going to be preaching about that throughout this series uh, about our purpose. And let me just say thank you for being here, braving the cold and a little bit of ice. Uh, the roads were mostly not too bad, but some had a little bit of difficulty getting here. And then when you got into the parking lot, it got really bad. So thank you for being here and braving all that. I'm going to read today from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, and then I'll let you be seated. The Bible says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created he, or he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So today I'm going to preach just for a little bit on this idea in his image and for his glory. God bless you. You may be seated. And I'm sure you just heard the trains go by. They finally made it. The gates over there of the train tracks and the, the lights have been flashing since at least eight o'clock this morning. They finally, the trains finally got here. So hopefully they're done for the rest of the service. But people, people search for purpose and they search for meaning. In fact, when you're young, you grow up and you're, and you're constantly wondering, what am I going to do with my life? And most of the time, that's about vocation. They're, they're looking for what is going to make them money and what is going to cause them to uh, enjoy life and enjoy what they do. But there is in almost everybody, and I would say it's actually innate in all people, this, this desire for meaning. You want to know and to believe that your life matters, that what you do and the reason, for, the reason for your existence is important and that it actually matters if you're here. It matters if you're not here. Anybody ever ask that question, why am I here? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, that's fine. The masses watching online, they're all raising their hand right now saying this is why, we, yeah, we've asked that question. But, but I, I've walked through, uh, I, I was actually at the Bible college for 
17 years, four years as a student, one year overlapping as an administrator, and then uh, 14 years total in, uh, as campus pastor slash dean of students and then vice president. And everybody was always looking for purpose and meaning. And sometimes they even couch that as, what is the will of God? What am I supposed to do? Why am I here? Why has God saved me? And what is it that, that I need to do for his kingdom? And they're always looking for that. People look for meaning in a variety of places, especially if they do not know Jesus Christ. They look for meaning in a number of wrong ways. I, I was looking on psychology today. I don't know that I've ever been on there, but I was doing it and doing some research for this message. And there are article after article about how to find your meaning and how to find your purpose. This one particular article, it had five steps on how to find your meaning and to find your purpose. I'll read them to you. Step one, find out what drives you. Step two, find out what energizes you. Step three, find out what you are willing to sacrifice for. Step four, find out who you want to help. Step five, find out how you want to help. And those aren't necessarily bad ideas. The problem is there's one thing that all of them have in common, and that is that it's all about looking at you. What do I like? What do I want to do? How do I want to help? And the reality is that you can't find purpose and meaning in you. You have to find it somewhere else. And what I would tell you is that you have to find that meaning and, and purpose in Jesus Christ. He is where all of our purpose and meaning comes from. Carl Sagan, famous astronomer, slash astrologer, and a few other things. He was famous for saying that the only thing that exists is the cosmos. That the cosmos, it's, it's like this universe and this mass of energy, it's out there and it's actually in you and you are the cosmos. And he waxed eloquent about how the cosmos is, that's what gives us meaning. But the reality is, is that purpose and meaning doesn't come from the fact that we are living in a world. It doesn't come from the fact that we're, we're living in a cosmos, but it comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes from knowing who God is and knowing who you are. We sang about it. He has given us confidence that we are going to be overcomers. We are going to be victorious. That His face is shining on us. He's the one who's blessing. He's the one that's making everything we do possible. So how do we find meaning? How do we find purpose? I want to give you four things today. And four ideas as to and four reasons on why God created us. And, and this creation, our purpose is rooted in God's creation. But God doesn't create, did not create man because he was so lonely. The trains, the trains are coming by today. Now if you've watched online, you probably can't even hear the trains, but in here, and when... We're in here. So if you're a guest with us today, uh, hopefully that will really be the last one. I've only had one sermon where we've had more than two trains. And uh, so we've got that out of the way already. But we search for meaning and purpose and, and we look at God's creation. The Bible says that, he, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, over and all the creeping things that creep. So God created man in his 
own image. The first thing and the first reason why God created us is to bear His image. God wasn't lonely. God wasn't sitting around in heaven going, man, I wish I had somebody to talk to. I wish I had somebody to be with. God didn't even create man because he was unloved. A lot of times when people talk, they come up with ways and reasons why God created man. And I'm always amazed at at some of the things they come up with. God wanted somebody that would just love him. As though he needs love from us. He may want love, but he doesn't need love. He wants us to love Him. He wants us to serve Him, but He doesn't need us. God is complete all by Himself. If God needs us to be complete and God needs us to be fulfilled, guess what? He's not that awesome of a God. But God doesn't need us, but God wants us. He he doesn't do it because He's lonely. He doesn't do it because He's unloved. He doesn't do it because He's needy. But He created us so that we would bear His image. That man is unique in all of creation. That there is something separate and something different about man from all of the rest of God's creation. The psalmist asked this, he said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? But thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory. The psalmist says, "I, I can't fathom and understand what it is about us that makes us special. I don't know why we're special. But he said, all I know is that you think that we're special. You have made us special. You have created us special. You have created us different than every part of creation. We're different than the animals. We're different than the trees. We're different than the the grass in the field. We're different than flowers. We're different from all of his creation. We're different than the sun and the moon and the stars. We are unique in God's creation. The Bible says in Psalms that we are the apple of His eye. That when God looks at us and God thinks about us, He sees us as special. He sees us as unique. In fact, I would tell you this, that we are the focus of His creation. Out of all the things that God has created, man is the focus. He created angels before he created man and if the angels had been the focal point guess what he would have stopped right there but he didn't stop right there because it wasn't the focus of his creation he saved man to the sixth day it was the last thing that he did because it was the focus it was the apex of his creation the bible tells us that you can see all and looking around in creation and you can see And understand that there is a creator. Romans 1 says it's this way. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He said God's angry with all of that. Because that, and here's the reason why. He said because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. But here's the reason I'm bringing this up, verse 20 of Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. What Paul records is this, is that you can look around and see that there is a creator. 
that when you see the trees and you see the flowers and you see all of what the wonder that God has created, you can't help but know that somebody did this. That it didn't just happen. You can't help but know that it, it wasn't just like, uh, you probably heard this analogy, the creation would be like taking all the letters that are in the Webster's Dictionary, throwing them up in the air, and then they would land and come into the, the form of the book. That's an impossibility. And he says, when you look at creation, you know that there is a God. That's why 99% of all people who've ever lived believe in God. The problem was that they didn't know everything there was about that God. They didn't know his name, and so God began to reveal himself over time, and we have the story of redemption. But what makes man unique from all of God's creation You can see he's a creator if you go outside and look at this, a blade of grass, or you look at a bird, or you look at a flower, you look at all of his majesty. But none of that bears God's image. None of that was made in the image of God. Man alone is the bearer of God's image. Man alone is what is called the Ago Dei, or in the image of God. Only man does that. Only man has that. That only man, when you, look at, when you look at humankind, what you're supposed to see is God. That you're supposed to see a representation of God. The problem is, is that we are fallen image bearers. That when Adam and Eve sin in the garden... The image of God that they were supposed to portray is fractured, it is broken, and now they're fallen image bearers. And from Genesis chapter 3 until the end of Revelation, God is in the process of restoring the image of himself that is in mankind. Jesus comes, and the Bible says of him that he is an exact representation of God. In Hebrews, he is the icon of In Greek, the icon is what it really says, but he is the image, he is an icon, he is an exact representation of God in human flesh. And Paul would write this in Romans 8, that we are, that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So he is recreating us in the image of Jesus Christ, which is an exact representation of God. That is the restoring and the putting back together of the image of God that we are supposed to have. We are to bear his image. I like this song for a variety of reasons, but I was driving around Kansas City. I'd been in Olathe for about 24, maybe a little bit less than that, as, as I came to visit the city before we moved here to plant a church. And I was leaving Olathe, heading back downtown Kansas City to turn in my rental car and connect with the group that I was, I was meeting, and I don't know if the I don't think the song came on the the radio that I was listening to. I don't remember that part of, of how it actually happened, but I began to sing, and then pray, the song "Let Them See You in Me." But that's, that's, what they're suppo- that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bear His image and that when they see us, they're not just seeing us, they're to see Jesus Christ. 
Let them see you and me. Let them hear you when I speak. Let them feel you when I sing. The, the song says we're, we're to be His image bearers. He created us to bear His image to the rest of His creation so that they would all see, when they see us, they would see God Himself. Not that we're equal to God, not that we're anywhere close, but there's supposed to at least be a family resemblance that they are supposed to see Him in us. We are His image bearers. Let me hurry. Secondly, we exist to fulfill His purpose. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. That our purpose is to be His purpose. That why we exist is not to do our plans and do our things, but to fulfill His purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't save us according to our works? If he did, none of us would be saved, but it's only by his grace that we can be saved. It's only by his grace that he has brought us into his family. So it's not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. He saves us for his purpose. He created us for His purpose. The writer of Proverbs said this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We can make all of our plans, we can make all kinds of wonderful ideas and Strategic, and I love making strategic plans. Man, give me a good SWOT analysis and I'll make a good strategic plan. None of that matters. It's only His purpose that will stand. It's only when I'm following His plan and I'm following His purpose that anything is accomplished of any eternal value. We are created for His purpose. Let me hurry. And thirdly, we are to show forth, created to show forth God's peace. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and i would tell you that that doesn't mean that we're just to come on a sunday morning and lift our hands and clap our hands and man we're just showing forth his praises no that's when we're praising him but the way we live and what we do and the way we interact with the world the fact that we're different that we live different we act different we have a different meaning and a different purpose. That is what is showing forth His praises. It's not just because we, we come in, and, and, and I love to come in and worship God and to clap our hands and lift our hands and maybe get all excited and run around. If you want to do that, feel free. At least after COVID's over, maybe. And we should praise God. It is one of our purposes to praise God, to worship Him. And I will preach about that in this series. But that is not what this means. What this passage means is not that people are just going to see us lifting our hands and go, man, that's, that's really awesome. Most of the time they're going to look at that and go, man, that's really crazy. What are they doing? If you first time you ever came into a service where people lifted their hands or clapped their hands, did you go, man, this is great. No, you probably looked at them and thought they had lost their mind. But what this means is that we show forth His praise by living like He wants us to live in this world. We are not 
of this world, but we are in this world. And we're here for a reason, and that is to show forth his praise, to show that he can take somebody who's a drug addict and he can clean them up. And they can be a good citizen and a good follower of Jesus Christ. Or somebody who's an alcoholic, he can clean them up. Or somebody who's been, been messed up, they've, had, they've been abused in their life, and no, no matter what kind of sin, but he can bring them out of that. And that bringing them out of that and them living above that is showing forth his praise. That's what God does for us and in us. But the last one, and this is the, the second most and maybe maybe even the most important and you see the sermon title on the screen in his image and for his glory the fourth thing is that we are to bring god glory we exist to bring him glory romans eleven thirty six for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen everything exists to bring him glory first corinthians ten thirty one. whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god that everything we do is to bring him glory everything we we read and everything we watch and every action we take and every attitude we have and when we have road rage we're really supposed to be bringing him glory now, I'm not sure he can get glory in road rage, so be careful out there with that. But if on your way home today, you slide off in a ditch, you still bring him glory by the way in which we respond and the way in which we act. And hopefully everybody's going to be safe on the way home today. If the Chiefs don't win today, the Buccaneer fan in the, in the house is, I'm not saying they're not going to win. I have a little faith. <laughs> but if they don't win, our response should be something that's done in a way that still brings him glory. Or if they do win, we should respond in a way that doesn't dishonor him but brings him glory. That everything we do is to the glory of God. Everything we do should be about the glory of God. The prophet said it this way in Isaiah, Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Everything God does is for His glory. And He created us for His glory. He created us to bring Him glory. Even sickness or death or problems can bring him glory. The disciples, actually the blind man comes to Jesus. And the common theology of the day is that if you have something like blindness, then it's because of some sin in your life. So the blind man is brought to Jesus and and. And the disciples asked Jesus, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? It wasn't a question for them. They just knew somebody had to sin or he wouldn't have been blind. Now, that's really bad theology because that's not the way God works. It is really, that's the theology of 
It's called Deuteronomic Theology, coming from the book of Deuteronomy, that you sin and you get punished for all this. And God does punish sin. But in the day in which we live, just because something bad happens doesn't mean that you've sinned. So it's bad theology. I, I sprained my ankle on Monday. It wasn't because I was a sinner. It's because I was clumsy. So that Jesus answers their question of whose sin, this man or his mother. He said, nobody's sin. But it is for the glory of God. He's not walking around blind to get glory. That, that's not where the glory comes in. The glory comes in is because Jesus is getting ready to heal him. Jesus is getting ready to say, look what I can do. Look at my power. Look that I can do anything. And he said, he's blind so that I can receive glory here today when I bring healing to him. That God is about getting glory in everything that he does. The Westminster Catechism, the shorter catechism, there's a short one and a long one. I don't know any question in the Westminster Catechism but the first question. The first question is this, what is the chief end of man? Why does man exist? What is the chief purpose? And the Westminster Catechism says this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I don't know if they get anything else right in that, but I would tell you that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And when we live like He wants us to live and we come in relationship with Him, we will enjoy Him forever. And that our actions will bring Him glory down here. But it's not just coming to church once a week. He's glorified in that, but that's not, it's more than that. It's not just about spending a few minutes every day extolling His virtues in your private prayer time or quiet time. But I would tell you, it is your attitude, it's your actions, it's your thought, it's everything that you do. Is it bringing God glory? Are you living in a way that He would say, yeah, I'm getting glory from that? That's what you and I are supposed to do. I've mentioned this before, but when you, when you come into the kingdom, we get a little bit of a glimpse of heaven on earth. That we experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that is the earnest of our inheritance. It's just a down payment. It's just a little 10% kind of deal of this is, this is just a taste of what it's going to be like when you get to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus. So it's just a little bit. And I believe in divine healing. And if somebody's sick, I pray for God to heal them every time. But the reality is he doesn't heal them every time. But he heals some. And, and he does miracles. And when he does that, it's a little glimpse of what it's going to be like to be in heaven. That when we're sick down here, sometimes he heals us when we pray, and sometimes he doesn't. But when we get over there, there is no sickness, no pain, no sorrow. And so when he heals us, it's just a little taste and a little glimpse of what it's going to be like over there. And I would tell you that what Jesus is doing in us it's that we are supposed to exhibit His glory. So that people get a little glimpse of heaven through us. 
I'm not very good at... Brother Cedric would come to the music. I'm not very good at this most of the time of looking at a, a child or looking at a newborn and, and identifying which parent the child looks like. In fact, most of the times, oh man, little, little George looks just like his mama. Oh, you're the first person who's ever said that. I mean, that's what I get. I, that's, I'm just not very good at it. then there are times when you you see people and there's no question this is their mama or this is their daddy they look so much like them anybody know someone like that they look just like their parent I would tell you that that is what it's supposed to take place in us. It's that when people see us, I should say there's no question this is a child of God. There's no question that they've been saved. There's no question they're exhibiting the attitudes of Jesus Christ. We are created to bear His image, to fulfill His purpose, to show forth His praise, and to bring Him glory. I mentioned this earlier, that we are fallen image bearers. That we, even in our saved state, are still less than everything God wants us to be. That we still stumble and fall and we make mistakes and we're still not exhibiting Him fully. And maybe it's like, like this, you know, the mask we're wearing during COVID. I think that's so-and-so. I'm not sure because they have this mask on. is that's the way it is with us sometimes I, mean, I think i think they know jesus but i'm not really sure we're never perfect but he is working on us he is making us and conform us forming us into the image of jesus christ the gospel is all about restoring us back into relationship with jesus christ restoring that broken image That that image that was broken in the garden causes us to want to walk away from God and want to do things that are not pleasing to Him and want to go our own way. Jesus Christ came to restore that and bring us back into relationship with Him. When we could not get back to Him, He came to us. God himself came in the form of Jesus Christ and he lived a perfect sinless life and he went to the cross and died in my place and in your place so that we could have our sins taken away that we could have his righteousness imputed to us so that we could be filled with his spirit and live with him forever so let me ask 
few questions. Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? It is a decision. It's more than that, but it is a decision to follow Jesus Christ. It is a decision that I'm not going to follow my way, I'm going to follow His way. It's a decision to leave behind sin and to follow after righteousness. It is a decision to repent and to ask for forgiveness from our sins. So have you made the decision to follow Him? Have you repented of your sins? Have you had your sins washed away in the waters of baptism? And we're going to celebrate that with Keegan in just a little bit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? That's what He wants to do. That's how He starts and initiates the process of restoring that image of God in us. Through our salvation experience. The older I get, the more I do things that are like my dad. Mannerisms. I'll do something and I'm like, that's what my dad does. I'll say something a certain way. I mean, that's what my dad does. I don't know, it's, I'm not becoming more like my dad. I think I'm probably becoming more cognizant of what, he, what it, he does and what he was like. But I recognize that more and more. And what God wants for us is this, is that the longer we live for Him and the longer we serve Him, the more family resemblance we have with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you stand together? I mentioned this in a group on Thursday. Question was posed that if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Our purpose isn't to do our thing. Our purpose isn't to see how much we can get and how much money we can make and how many toys we can buy, how much fun we can have. Our purpose isn't to be happy. Our purpose isn't even to make other people happy. Our purpose is to reflect God's glory. That when people see us, they're seeing a glimpse of heaven and a glimpse of Jesus Christ in us. And that the longer we live, they say, man, you sure are looking a lot like your dad. You're starting to act a lot like your dad. And every time I see you, I think of your dad. That's what he's called us to be. If you want to be a reflection of God's glory, I'm going to invite you to step out in the aisle or come close. You can put your mask on, do all of the proper protocols at this particular point. But just as a sign of, of faith and just a sign of commitment, would you just step out from where you are and say, God, I want to be everything that you called me to be. That I want to be a true image bearer. I want to 
bring you glory in everything that I do. Would you do that right now as Pastor Cedric sings? God, we thank you for what you've done in us. Thank you for your salvation.